live. We're live. <laughs> Very exciting. We're back. We're back. We, we took a, we had a, a three week break, Terry, from yes. this week in higher ed. Uh, and now we're back. So, uh, so how, how, how are you doing? You, you held up okay not seeing me every Wednesday? I survived somehow. It was really nice. difficult, but nice. Um, nice. yeah, we we there's been a lot going on in higher ed, which, which mm -hmm. we are keeping up with, yeah. of course. And yeah. uh, of course, you know me. My my favorite thing is, is sports. But before we get to that, we are using that wonderful internet our Zoom now convention. We're, even mm -hmm. though we're not on Zoom, yeah. um, <laughs> a check in. So my yeah. check in is that uh, you know even though California was doing pretty well, we are seeing our numbers increase rapidly, and mm -hmm. so we are pretty much even though it's not a formal shelter in place like we, we as yeah. a family are sheltering in place because yeah just, yeah it's you know we just want to be as safe as possible so we had a very small thanksgiving just mm -hmm. me and my husband and my two sons yeah and, but we're doing fine so yeah and i did see your grown sons reenacting a picture in their pajamas, <laughs> their onesie pajamas from their youth so that's the sign that as a mother you still have you still have influence there, so good job by you raising two, uh, <laughs> two sons who would do that. My quick check-in, me, my wife, and my young son, he's almost two years old, had a nice nice Thanksgiving season, and uh, yeah, and I'm just watching the, the COVID numbers as much as you're describing there, too. It does sound like um, the vaccine may be approved, uh, the Pfizer vaccine may be approved in the U.S. by the FDA tomorrow. Uh, is the latest uh, that I was hearing today. So that's uh, that's interesting. Obviously gets our wheels turning uh, as far as how that might uh, impact uh, 2021 in, in higher ed, which is something we'll get into a little bit later on. But uh, but yeah, I'm taking refuge in sports and uh, I think we're gonna come back and talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, we do wanna welcome our guests. Uh, so welcome to uh, Mohammed uh, Desoki and, and Lisa Hunter who are our guests for today's uh, today's episode, uh, we just want to make sure uh, we check in at the top with, with both of you. Maybe beginning with you, uh, Mohammed, and then picking up with you, Lisa. Uh, just a quick check in, say who you are, how you're doing, and uh, we'll pick up from there. Yeah, it's good to be with uh, you all today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Terry, Lisa. Uh, coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina. Nice, cool day here uh, today. Um, coming to you from my home office with my wife, uh, where we work. Uh, on a regular weekly basis here. Um, also had a very good Thanksgiving season. Um, the, uh, the the state of North Carolina is, generally speaking, there is a increase in the, the positivity rate, but um, you know the uh, locals are, are fairly optimistic given the uh, recent events with the vaccine. You know we have a case study in the UK, and uh, generally speaking, uh, many of us are, are positive with the uh, the uh, prospects for 2021. Yeah. So yeah, happy to share uh, with you all today on, you know, the students and faculty and, and, and staff here at uh, Schema Business School. Yeah. Awesome. And just real quick, Mohammed, uh, Schema Business School, uh, while you're talking, can you just give us uh, the quick rundown of uh, what, who you are and how you relate to Schema and, and everything? Sure. Absolutely. Happy to, uh, to do so. I'm the academic uh, dean at Schema Business School. Uh, I've been in this position since 2018. Uh, I actually began with Schema as an adjunct professor, uh, interestingly, back in 2014, and just sort of climbed the ranks um, mm -hmm. through um, through the academic um, profiles of faculty, uh, earned my PhD uh, during that period, and, and thereafter just assumed more responsibilities and ultimately took on the full academic dean position in, in 2018. And since then, it's been quite a wild ride, <laughs> I would say, in overseeing it different academic programs and welcoming international students and working with the 
the very eclectic and, and mixed group of faculty as well. Yeah. Um, since then. Yeah, and we'll want to get more of your perspective on that prior to COVID and then particularly in 2020, uh, you've had to be very uh, quick on your toes in terms of responding to the complexities of this year. So we're going to want to dive into that in some more depth in a bit. But uh, but we also wanted to get a quick check in from you, uh, Lisa. It looks very uh, snowy and pastoral out there behind you. So uh, Indeed, I'll let everybody see that, see that view out there. So hi, everybody. My name is Lisa Hunter. Uh, I'm Vice President of Solutions Architect at, at Astra. We are a uh, software and professional services company, and we help um, institutions and academic leaders manage the academic enterprise. I'm coming to you from my home office in uh, central New York in the Finger Lakes. So if you are a wine enthusiast, please put the Finger Lakes on your radar. But yes, as you'll see, it is snowing here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as you'll see, it's snowing here. Um, we're doing okay. Um, we have a house of, of higher ed here. My husband is, is in higher ed as well. So we are finishing up a semester uh, as well and, and starting to wrap things up, talking about spring um, and uh, really actually thinking about summer and fall because with academic leaders, we are that much farther ahead. So, um, you know, kind of just really monitoring things as the, as the situation you know, Mike, you said, that, you know, seems like the vaccine is going to get approved. So we're, we're um, waiting here with um, quite a bit of optimism and uh, doing okay. So thanks for yeah. checking. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a nice transition into kind of what's going on, you know, with the pandemic. And we know that the vaccine is coming, but it sounds like I was uh, listening to NPR this morning and there was an interesting story about the fact that, yes, we have the vaccine, but um, it, you know, in terms of planning for higher ed, it sounds like we're still going to be in a situation where we have to do social distancing and masking because we don't know if somebody, you know, even if they're vaccinated, gets the, you know, exposed to the virus, they could still pass it on to somebody else. Right. So, you know, that means that we, you know, a year from now, we may still be social distancing, working yeah. remotely and so on. Yeah, I, I think we want to figure out how to look ahead collectively in this call, but I thought we might begin by talking to you in particular, uh, Mohammed, about what it was like back in March, where uh, things that we've talked about in a theoretical sense, what it must be like to move. I heard it referred to as emergency remote teaching was something Educause, uh, like labeled the, the rapid reaction that happened to get through the spring semester in 2020. We've talked about that in the abstract, but as someone who was leading uh, your, uh, your your program through this period, um, what was that like? And have you learned stuff along the way? So, if if you if you uh, grant us this, I, I think it'd be great to hear from you, almost the planning phases and sort of the shape of the year that uh, that you experienced uh and then maybe get a little bit of uh added color or commentary from terry and or lisa uh, as that makes sense yes actually i remember to this uh to this day uh, quite vividly um my wife and i were actually on a in an airplane on our way back from chicago visiting my brother and just welcoming his his new baby uh daughter uh, my my niece uh Lulu at the time and in that airplane, um, I discovered that there had been some urgency on uh, the, the rate of the virus spread at NC State University, and they had uh, declared a shutdown of their operations. And, and I was in that airplane on the, on, on the way home, 
And suddenly we had to make these, uh, these decisions in a very rapid and swift way as to how we would run operations, how we would train the faculty, how we would shift all our courses online. Um, so there was a, a very dramatic chain effect uh, that happened as a result of that decision uh, at NC State. And because we're in the Triangle area, we're located with NC State, we partner with NC State, we also have Duke and UNC, we monitor their operations. And to a certain degree, we act, we can act independently, but we also leverage those, uh, those developments at those universities. And this was one, one big event that occurred. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was in connection with the governor's decision as well. Uh, which 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 reflected uh, a more a serious stance on, on the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we had to revert uh, our, our programs to online. Um, we had to start creating training for professors to come online to start using, you know, the different virtual tools. At the time, we were using Zoom, which I think everyone's familiar with, um, to to start to deliver uh, their courses. Um, so there was many questions from faculty: How would they how should they design their courses? How should exams look like? How can you prevent cheating? Right. There was a lot of different um, elements to teaching a course. Um, I mean, traditionally, teaching a course is not a problem. You come to class, you deliver to the class, um, you take attendance just as you normally would. Um, but when you move things online, it suddenly changes mm -hmm. from taking attendance to engagement with the students, to assessing the students, um, there, there's an entirely different um, paradigm shift there. And so um, thankfully we did have um, some trainings that were offered to faculty in that spring period that allowed the faculty to come on board as best they could mm -hmm. um, towards the, uh, to the end of that, of that term. But there was a lot of learnings that we went through and a lot of those learnings did help us in deploying courses uh, in the fall of, uh, of the recent fall semester, so. Yeah. It's also a place where one of the words that keeps coming up this year is grace. And when I think of the spring semester, that is the word that comes to mind where, sure, you have to deliver your curriculum and finish the syllabi, syllabi that were, were created in advance of the pandemic. But you're also dealing with faculty and students and families, uh, even yourself, uh, perhaps as a leader or a decision maker who's confronting a lot of genuine challenges. Um, it's also trauma-informed is another th another term that's been out there a lot more, I think, uh, really maybe prior, but I think it's been um, emphasized even more in light of the pandemic. Um, can you talk a little bit about that as well, Mohammed? like managing the, the humans on the other side through that spring uh, semester? Because I, I imagine it was a bit of a juggling act. Yes, it was to, to sort of manage their psychological state, mm -hmm. you know, particularly what could happen in their families, what could happen with their colleagues. Mm -hmm. We did have regular check-ins with the students. Uh, we regularly checked in with the student where we have delegates. And in those delegate sessions, we would gather uh, their pulse of the student body for their particular groups mm -hmm. to ask, okay, where are the concerns? What are some uh, pain points that we need to address? Mm -hmm. And um, and at the same time, we kept them up to date with changes with the curriculum, changes with the platform, because things were rapidly changing. And, there, you know, we wanted to avoid, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know I had to do this. I didn't know I had to do that. So we would try to manage those uncertainties or that psychological aspect by regularly checking in with the students. Mm -hmm. um, 
And we also did that with the faculty. We also checked in with the faculty to check their state of mind. What are some issues that are facing that they are facing? Uh, because as we all know, you know, there, there could be some, you know, some exhaustion, some virtual exhaustion yeah. with their courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some faculty that are not used to teaching online, there was ways we wanted to navigate those waters where we, we perhaps adjusted their schedules uh, to have better meet or optimize their delivery. Yeah. So yeah, I would I, say in some, it was just about checking in with each of those populations. Yeah. And I, I know in terms of your background uh, coming from the military and West Point, like I imagine that gave you some readiness to lead in difficult and uncertain times. I, I, I want to get back to, to a little bit of that thinking uh, in, in a bit, but, uh, but also maybe bringing uh, Lisa in. Um, what was the spring like from your perspective? I imagine you work with a, a wide variety of partners. Uh, what was that like uh, on the, the Ad Astra side? Yeah, so we saw, you know, so many two institutions sort of in this like triage mode, right? In in this in this pivot, and so um, uh, from our perspective, looking at a lot of um, social distancing, and of course, this was before the time like where PPE had evolved. So now we see, and that, so there's a lot of concern over, you know, what do we do with um, courses where attendance in person is like labs and studios and that kind of thing is really deemed. Um, uh, essential, and that was before mm-hmm. PPE had evolved. So now, now we have masks for musicians, so that the you know that that they can play in the mouthpiece and ensemble shields and and all this um, sort of advancement where where we didn't have that before. So we saw folks really doing a lot of modeling um, for social distancing from you name it, measuring six feet and beyond um, physically in classrooms um, to really trying to think of what is the impact on enrollment mm-hmm. and kind of um, struggling uh, you know, with, with what to do um, in that pivot. Do we just put the courses remotely? Do we just put them online? Do we start to combine sections? Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean for our instructors, for our faculty? And what does that mean um, in terms of, of workload and, and, and helping students manage the expectation? So then we transition into fall. Um, folks are starting to move away from triage mode and, and trying to use the data that they have a little bit more strategically and yeah. have more time to be a little bit more thoughtful about what that you know what that schedule will look like. And, and you know, same thing here as folks are, are moving into spring are starting to ask. Yeah. Um, deeper questions about, okay, do, do we see any patterns and what can we expect now for fall 21? Yeah. And everyone is feeling shook, uh, I think is what's, what's generally shared. Everyone who, it reminds me, uh, I think uh, the, the expression, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, you know? So whatever you thought <laughs> you had in terms of your strategic plan, you have to start fresh. Uh, and then even if you think about the fall, that's a pretty compressed planning window to get whatever you could get in place in time. Uh, so Mohammed, maybe coming back to you on that, like you talked about how you, you got things, you, you got everybody through the spring and were able to kind of get it together enough, manage that rapid pivot, hopefully learn a little bit from it and hopefully help the humans on the other end through that crazy time. But then you wanted to get prepared for the next phase um, and, uh, any perspective on the difference between the initial planning window, which was, you know, reacting on an airplane and 
making decisions uh, like from central command to a certain extent, <laughs> right. to uh, to then having a little bit of a planning window to head into the fall. And then I think uh, hopefully we'll be able to conclude with more visioning of what 2021 might look like and how to think about planning in that window because that's still to be determined. But uh, But what was it like pivoting from the spring to the fall? Yeah, fortunately, we did have the summertime to to fine tune, and we did have information to 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 refine um, our delivery methods uh, across courses, uh, student life, um, just generally the, the the student experience. So, um, and we have a you know our innovation center was was able to arrange a variety of trainings for for the faculty, from developing their syllabi to taking attendance, to, to organizing breakout sessions, uh, a whole variety of pedagogical uh, trainings mm-hmm. um, over the course of weeks um, for all those faculty that were rolling over into fall 2020 or new faculty that were joining us at the time. Mm-hmm. So we had, uh, I would say, a two-pronged uh, effort. It was, or benefit from the fall semester. We had the, the learnings from the, the spring semester, and then we had the trainings going into the, into the fall Mm-hmm. to help us really, really uh, refine our, our, our operations yeah. uh, in fall 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and for the most part, uh, we had time. Uh, we ended up launching in September, in the middle of September, where other universities ended up starting early because they wanted to end before Thanksgiving, right. where our philosophy was to start a little bit later because of there were some embassy um, challenges with students arriving from countries around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted students, we wanted to give students enough time to arrive to campus. So we, we ended up opening a little later and are thus ending, you know, in December, December 18th, next Got week. Yep, yep. Um, so that was to our benefit and ended up giving us more runway to train the faculty, more time to plan the semester, um, you know, added all the precautions to, to campus with mm-hmm. the shields and yeah. Um, sanitizer and so on and signs around the around campus to ensure everyone's as safe as possible yeah and so because we had that time we started to develop more confidence and actually bring instructors to the classroom mm-hmm. uh, and that was also faced with a little resistance uh, but ultimately it, it turned out to be a good uh, decision to have faculty actually come to the classroom and deliver to those students who who ultimately made it to the u.s right because you're you're student population has a large percentage of uh, international students. Is that correct? Yes, predominantly international, uh, mostly from, from Western Europe, from France. Yep. Uh, but we do have some students from China, some from Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna, I, I'm curious about the pivot to online then with that audience and how you're thinking about the plan for the future, because I, I, you know, international travel, at least for the near term, is, is is significantly impacted by the pandemic. So, you know, how do you continue to engage with an international audience? Uh, leveraging online tools is uh, is an interesting uh, opportunity. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, Terry, I wanted to get your perspective too, because uh, Mohammed and uh, Lisa are both talking about um, connecting with faculty, training faculty. I know that's something that you've You've worn just about every hat in uh, on the hat rack as far as it comes to uh, training and, and helping faculty learn new skills. Uh, you've talked in the past about the fact that uh, prior to the pandemic, faculty were frequently not getting taught to teach. They weren't getting taught 
pedagogy, now that everyone's being forced to teach online, you know, maybe there's a chance to open up receptiveness to some of the training programs you've been uh, talking about for some time. I'd, I'd love to get a little bit of your perspective on that. Yeah, I, I do see, you know, I have a lot of friends, you know, I'm a political scientist. I have a ton of friends who are faculty as well as having been a provost and, and worked with faculty. And, you know, it, it varies, right? I mean, I think it's, you know, when I was at Menlo College, there was a more of a focus on teaching and pedagogy. But of course, uh, you know, a lot of the faculty in the R1 institutions and so on are, are you know, research is often the top priority. Um, and so obviously for this, you know, the last year, since March, there's been much more of a focus on pedagogy. And so we're seeing the rise of different, you know, communities of practice mm -hmm. and, you know, more of a focus on instructional design, um, especially, you know, I think, um, Mohammed, it sounds like you're doing a somewhat hybrid approach. Are you having students both online and in the classroom? Yes, um, for this semester, we are. Um, we have students connected in from overseas some elected not to arrive to our campus only out of either personal reasons or simply visa reasons. And so just by virtue of that, we decided to um, develop an, a hybrid approach for some courses. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually also increased the vigilance or the um, additional skill that professors would have to develop to not only engage the students in person, but those that are connected online. Mm -hmm. So we use Teams. So um, once those students connect um, to that course link, which is lined up for all professors in their, in their calendars, mm -hmm. uh, they would have a set of students connected online and they would have to try their best to not forget about them and get them engaged in yeah. as best as they could. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that could be challenging, particularly if you have team events, um, if you have, you know, maybe a particular time in the day, Suppose that you're teaching maybe in the afternoon and then you have a six hour difference mm -hmm. or even a 13 hour difference for those that are in China. Right. So there is a variety of challenges for those professors. But yes, we have that that hybrid design and, and fully in person mm -hmm. uh, yeah. for this my, semester. Yeah. And actually, I'm you know, dealing with that as a mom because my son is that uh, yeah, they're doing a hybrid approach at uh, Lewis and Clark. And actually, you know, I have to say it's been pretty he's pretty happy with how the semester went and it's been pretty successful. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it is. A, that's a whole additional challenge for the faculty. And, and I've heard directly from some of my friends like, you know, you have to you exactly you have to remember that there's these students online as well as the students you're addressing in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're all wearing masks or, or you have plexiglass in front of you. Uh, and, right. and so, you know, it's, but, you know, I think the important thing is that um, there's been a real, you know, obviously there's some resistance and obviously some faculty would prefer not to be in the classroom for a variety of reasons. But, um, you know, I think that uh, we're all, you know, we have to recognize that we're all in this learning process and and that, the, you know, obviously safety is, is critical, but also, you know, the other, you know, the, the mental health component, the, you know, the engagement component, all these different things we're seeing yeah. are, are so critical. And, and I think this is a really good opportunity for us all to, to learn more about ped, this, the pedagogical impacts of, of all these different things, because we're going to be dealing with it for at least through next fall. Yeah. Um, and so there are plenty of opportunities. We have our forums at Brighter Higher Ed, but there's lots of opportunities for faculty to connect and engage beyond their own campuses, mm -hmm. which I think is really critical. And developing these communities of practice and, you know, talking to, you know, not just your, your campus instructional designers, but, you know, 
in your disciplines, you know, talking across disciplines. I know the American Political Science Association has a teaching and learning community. Um, and so I think one of the most important things we, we, as we go into the spring is to think about what are the innovations that have worked and, mm -hmm. you know, what are the best practices that we can pull in, pull from, you know, our experiences in the spring and the fall and think, you know, very proactively. And next week, we're going to be talking about agile and education with um, Hannah Siddiqui and mm -hmm. uh, Willie Wylands, because it's really, you know, I think we, we, we do need to kind of take an, you know, I think everybody has had to take an agile approach. Yeah. You know, what you were talking about, Muhammad, is an agile approach, right? You know, you had to try things, you have to, um, you know, experiment, you know, if something works great. If it doesn't work, you change it. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, That's and I'm sure you're very familiar with Agile being at a big business school. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, it's interesting you say that. Our faculty plan, our operational plan, is called Agile and Dynamic. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, you know, by, by semester, because it is Agile, we have to be adaptive and dynamic. We have to learn through each week. Right. Um, just as the, the pandemic has changed virtually every week, um, yeah. so too has yeah. our operations. So. It's been a, a, a learning uh, process over time, and we hope to optimize it, just as in many dynamic processes, we hope to optimize it by the spring and, right. and maybe by the fall and, and thereafter. Um, even once the pandemic is behind us, mm -hmm. we can maybe deploy some of those new learnings in different methods or different ways to executives, to maybe students that don't want to leave their, their home residence um, and so on. So, yeah. so we don't feel that there's going to be a sort of a, you know, tossing away of all the learnings, we do feel that some of these practices that we do gain will can be deployed at a future time as well. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's one of the things we're going to focus on a lot in with Brighter Higher Ed. That's why we created this community of practices so that people have a place to go and talk about what worked, what didn't work. You know, right. how are we addressing faculty concerns? You know, especially because we focus more on the leadership and administrative side. And so, you know, and and in many ways, I'm hoping that we can really create a safe space for people to come and talk about. You know, okay, well, we made a mistake here, but we you know we need to. You know, this is how we fixed it. Kind of. and, yeah. Um, you know, I don't think we talk enough about, um, you know, pulling together best practices across institutions, mm -hmm. you know, and talking to each other more directly, which is part of the reason we do this, of course. Yeah. Well, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, just kind of building on that, too. Like, I, I was curious among all three of you, um, any lessons in leadership or uh, lessons in, <laughs> in, <laughs> in how, to how to navigate this stuff yeah it sounds like terry you might have some ideas on that front communication <laughs> i see the across every situation you know the biggest problem is communication mm -hmm. i mean right from my you know my son's high school district up to you know the government and how i mean you know, it's been really interesting here in California watching as the, the state government is just struggling to figure out, you because know, we're such a, a very broad and diverse and large state. Mm -hmm. How do you get out a message in a way that makes sense for everybody from Shasta County to Los Angeles? Right. <laughs> and the same is true in higher ed, right? How do you get a message out to, you know, as you're, you know, it's that it's, we have to incorporate better messaging systems because I, I'm, I'm also on the, um, you know, the list uh, for or, um, Facebook page for my son's uh, 
college for the parents. And, you know, this, that's been fascinating <laughs> and so, because, you know, the, seeing the parents and the miscommunications right. and, and, um, and being an administrator, I'm going in there and like, well, the administrators are really, you know, trying yeah. hard and, you know, you need to look here and here. So I'm, they're defending the, the administrators because I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. And I can tell you, communication is tough even when you're not dealing with a pandemic. And when you sure. are dealing with a pandemic and you have students on campus and parents are hearing wild and crazy stories, you know, it, it can get, it get really hard. But right. um, that's why proactive communication <laughs> <laughs> but then you have to find a balance. I think we've talked about this before, where sometimes there's too much communication and everybody's like, oh, I can't read all these emails. Right. And then, you know, they say, well, I, I don't know what's happening. So right. <laughs> in any case, yeah. but I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, and, and Terrence asking, you know, what communications channels work best? I think social media has been a really important but you know, as far as I can tell, email is, is really the only way you can reach out to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh, perspective, Mohammed? Uh, similar, similarly around how you were thinking about communication, or any lessons in uh, in leadership. The other one for me is more just around vulnerability and uh, owning uncertainty. Uh, you know, committing to a message at a particular point in time, and if the message is we still don't know, showing up and delivering that message uh, is is hard. But it is in many ways the role of someone in a leadership position. Uh, any perspective uh, from uh, what you were seeing at Schema? Yes, um, I, I think maybe the, the theme is cautious optimism. Mm. Just cautious op optimism. I, I mean, not to this sense that you're so optimistic that you kind of ignore mm -hmm. or turn a blind eye to, to the pandemic and its possible um, you know, consequences, but being cautious around it rather than sort of reverting to fully online, in our case, we were able to mitigate all the risks as best we could yeah. to, uh, to to deliver our, our programs. Mm -hmm. So while we were very keen on the precautions that we took, um, we also found a way to deliver to students and, and remain optimistic. So I, I would say from a, a leader standpoint, we had that mentality, mentality across the staff, mm -hmm. and that really sort of spread to the faculty and, and the students as well. Mm -hmm. um, throughout the semester. Yeah. Um, but as far as communication, um, I, I do think it, it was it was vital for us to, to communicate, particularly with so much information changing over time. Mm -hmm. um, we had to stay uh, close. And fortunately, we have all these these tools. Uh, you know, you kind of pick pick one uh, from the lot. You know, we have Zoom, Teams, yeah. you know, WebEx, and um, those were great vehicles for us to stay in contact, uh, in addition to email. Um, but from a staff perspective, we would have regular check-ins. We went from having check-ins every day of the week to three days a week to now just two days a week, mm -hmm. uh, where we have just a check-in on Monday and then on, on Friday, yeah. where we kind of bring everyone on board, just what's going on, who's on leave, who's not on leave, mm -hmm. um, what's an activity going on this week, yeah. whatever you receive yeah. from France. It's just kind of keeping one um, you know, apprised of the latest, so to help them, you know, stay uh, stay relevant, stay stay active in the, in their decision making process. So, so I would say it was a combination of you know, thankfully we have these tools and just regular check ins with the staff. Yeah, and it's important because you miss those opportunities to just see how someone's doing. As abstract a thing as that may sound, you know, you kind of need to build in new structures that allow you to 
to just have a casual conversation with someone and, uh, you know, get to know them as a person, which is frequently what good management, good leadership uh, is all about. How about you, Lisa? I know you uh, you probably have dealt with more uh, universities than uh, than the rest of us uh, through this crazy crazy year of ours. Uh, any any general trends uh, emerging or any any thoughts you have uh, based on uh, what you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So institutions, I think that, you know, in terms of lesson learned or best practice, those that had strong infrastructure and invested in infrastructure um, were able to kind of navigate, um, you know, in the in the pivot relatively well. They had the business processes set up um, and, and other um, support structures that kind of facilitated that, right? So, you know, as we work with folks now, it's just thinking about what is the infrastructure we need to, you know, whatever the next uh, situation is going to be, how can we be better suited to be to be more agile and, and, and flexible in the future? And then I think in terms of communication, um, lots of our leaders, um, you know, thinking definitely about what and when, you know, the accuracy, but then bringing that compassionate side um, to the leadership, both for the internal team, but also to the students. And then how do you balance that um, with inspiring that, that confidence and that, that cautious optimism that Mohammed spoke of um, so that, you know, folks are, you know, whatever the, you know, rolling out the, the, the next schedule or the next plan, that folks really feel like the institution is, is safe for them and that they feel still welcomed um, and that community mm -hmm. is still and there Lisa, that they I had desire. a question for you because I know that a lot of institutions with this hybrid approach have had to juggle their, their course schedules um, because of the need to, like Muhammad was saying, you know, students being in, you know, around the world. I know even Menlo College where I was before has students in China and and Europe and, and so on. And they've had to go completely online because of the, the uh, county and state health districts aren't, aren't allowing, you know, in, uh, in person at all, really. Um, and they don't have the labs uh, that require that. But I'm just curious, you know, what you're, you're uh, kind of seeing from that perspective. They're seeing a lot of uh, innovation, um, especially here in the, the spring semester. So we have folks thinking about um, shorter terms and really how they can be creative around um, different length and part of term, um, certainly with the modalities. And one um, uh, pattern that we're starting to see that I think is just wonderful is that um, well, two things. One, institutions are, are investing much, much more in really knowing who their students are and what their challenges are um, and where they come from. So that's that's such a beautiful piece of this in, in terms of being student ready. But then folks thinking now about as they're looking into fall, what are our students' preferences? So we're seeing a lot more folks wanting to survey students. Um, and what they're thinking, and not just as a as a retention. I mean, a measure. It's out of deep care for wanting to serve students. And so, as we're advising folks, it's really about balancing kind of what what can you, the institution, reasonably um, um, promise to students in the next term and the next year, and make sure that you deliver on that. Um, and then how can you kind of accommodate what their preferences yeah. are, and then yeah, how do you? Yeah, that's that? that's a whole shift. I think that's going to be happening more and more in higher ed is this more student focused approach because, you know, we, we're seeing the 
you know, shifting demographics. And, and then of course the whole, you know, the issue of international students is going to be really big um, mm -hmm. going into the, the next year. And, and, you know, to bring a little politics in as a political scientist, I think we're going to see a shift um, with the new administration, but there's still going to be, you know, the issues of, you know, visas. It's going to take mm -hmm. a long time to get that visa machine up and running again. Yeah. Um, you know, various other things that are going to impact you know, going us going into the fall. So I think um, I'm, I'm curious, Muhammad, if you as an institution, what you guys are thinking about in terms of ways you want to innovate going into, you know, the next year around some of these issues, of course, you know, I don't know if you're, I mean, you're already doing hybrid but um as you bring more students into the classroom how how you, what innovations you guys are thinking about yes um well one of them is the um reduction of hybrid actually because we, right. we did find that some students who were connected online didn't feel connected in the classroom mm -hmm. and so uh we're, we're looking to create just purely online sections Mm -hmm. So if we can, if the student number and concentration is large enough, we can create a section that's purely online so that student feels engaged because they're in one coherent, homogeneous group. And at the same time, the faculty can deliver and just focus on that group, design their program and, and their syllabus that's attuned to an online environment. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a hybrid, you have to kind of develop two. We actually had faculty create a supplement to their traditional syllabus for the hybrid courses, which made it tricky because then you had to jockey between the two in the class, um, you know, session. So, so here we're looking to reduce the hybrid if we can and just create purely online sections or purely in-person sections. And, and next semester, um, we're actually increasing the number of students. We're finding more students because of our success this semester. We're welcoming almost three times more students. Wow. in the spring semester um so so i would say that's our latest uh, innovation is to really try to focus you know our programs specifically on those students and how they're connected uh to the class um you know those professors that have optimized their hybrid instruction i i, I commend them i've taught a hybrid model it's it's very challenging but we're looking to reduce the faculty exhaustion i guess some of the distress in that sense yeah. And creating also a 70-30 model where professors who are teaching face-to-face um, -face can actually switch 30% of their lectures to online. Mm -hmm. So they know they have some flexibility to deliver from their homes mm -hmm. uh, and kind of break up that rhythm mm -hmm. and, and, and keep them, you know, keep them energized going throughout throughout the term. So, so we, we have that 70-30 um, uh, introduction there to give them some flexibility within the semester um, for those in-person uh, uh, courses. For the online, of course, they're 100% online, and they have the, the, the freedom to design a lecture, um, you know, for that particular environment. Yeah, it is interesting. I keep coming back to planning, and that's where I, I definitely feel, uh, for you in particular, Mohammed, like just trying to understand both how to be tactical and agile and responsive to the, the moment, which is challenging, and you have to be able to meet that challenge, while at the same time, being able to either stay with the plan that you had prior to all this uh, happening and or revisiting that plan and coming up with a new longer term vision for uh, for your your organization. Um, how are you how are you thinking about that? Have you gotten into a phase where you can start looking uh, at scenarios for, say, two to three years out or is it still 
you know, th you're in the thick of it and you're trying to get through the, the relatively short-term planning? I, I think right now we're, we're, we're looking at those, you know, middle to short-term planning right now. Um, and, and we're thinking about how to take the learnings that we're gaining and then keeping those in some way mm -hmm. to not uh, to store, to not just store them indefinitely, to have a way where we've worked so hard to develop some new branch mm -hmm. of our operations that we can deploy it in some way in the future. Yep. Uh, we're finding there's ways to scale our programs for executive training, mm -hmm. for instance, because now rather than dedicating a classroom, we can open up a virtual classroom, for instance, for executives to come on board for our programs. And we have very valuable courses in data science and AI that are right now insulated. And then if we find a way to bring in executives, you know, we can we can scale scale those programs. Mm -hmm. So it's really about thinking, how can we uh, take advantage of all the learnings that we're picking up now, all the changes that are that are introduced, mm -hmm. and then leveraging those, um, you know, on a long term basis. Yeah. There's an opportunity to be opportunistic uh, exactly. around, around all of this where, you know, there was a forcing function. People had to move in new directions and it doesn't seem like we're going to go all the way back on the other side. So figuring out where you might be able to 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 open up new opportunities through this is certainly uh, certainly a good direction uh, to go. Uh, and then what about uh, the business school curriculum itself? Is Has that been influenced by the... I like to say VUCA because uh, uh, the I think it's volatile, <laughs> uncertain, complex, uh, and uh, ambiguous or whatever it is, but just totally crazy. I just like military acronyms. I'll say snafu, <laughs> snafu, and fubar while we're at it. But uh, but it's been a it's been a crazy year, and uh, trying to incorporate that into your case studies and into your examples around how to become a leader, uh, which is a lot of what business school uh, is about. Um, have you seen any of that? From some faculty, they have um, refined or introduced more crisis-related uh, topics into their uh, programs. Mm -hmm. um, leading in crisis, we have professors teaching in leadership where they're now introducing how to lead in a crisis, um, how to stay calm under fire, for instance, how to issue that warning order, you know, if you want the military term there. <laughs> um, um, you know, in, in governance, how to understand, you know, the World Health Organization and how you know, you can make an informed decision based on uh, their mandates, their declarations. So there are some concepts that are being slowly infused into the uh, into certain courses. Uh, of course, in human resources, we, we, we know about, I mean, these days we hear about um, virtual uh, remote working, how to introduce that in organization, dealing with layoffs during, you know, furloughs, things like that. Mm -hmm. the psychological impact of that. So there's there's ways that some professors are being very agile and introducing those concepts into the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it's a slow trickle. It hasn't been completely pervasive. Um, some areas in finance may be a little more challenging to introduce pandemic-related concepts. Yeah. So it's yeah. really maybe subject-specific mm -hmm. where there is a connection with the pandemic into that, into that content. Yeah. That's interesting stuff. Uh, and then for uh, for you, Lisa, how uh, how are you thinking about uh, the longer term strategy uh, at at Astra? Like, how are you thinking about short, medium, and long term? Because uh, I still feel like it's a really interesting time to to get at like a three to five year strategic planning window. But I think the way you go about that now has to be completely different 
because there's so much uncertainty. But uh, any perspective as, as far as how planning is working in your neck of the woods? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, somebody mentioned it bef um, before, I think it was Terry, you know, asking that question, what what of the, the past um, several months here is, is helpful to kind of take into a new planning scenario, even if it's, um, the 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 situation itself, right? We learned that we can be agile. We learned that we can be flexible. How do we maintain this kind of um, flexibility? And so, um, you know, we are seeing folks definitely, you know, wanting to move back into that strategic planning phase. And so, um, and looking farther out, whether that's and and innovating there is that going to mean that we're seeing a lot of. Um, uh, ideas around managing students' expectations, right? And trying to ensure um, the their future landscape, right? And so they're um, looking at, uh, you know, how do we communicate with students in a way through our strategic plan that we're, and we're ensuring um, their success, that the degree program they start is, is going to be sustainable and that it's, if they're starting in a particular location, um, that they'll be able to kind of complete there. So folks are looking at annual scheduling, for example, which is, you know, you, you, though for those who are used to being um, uh, scheduling term by term, um, you know, student being able to plan their entire year ahead. And we even have some folks looking farther out than that. And so that's certainly fitting in their kind of um, long-term student success um, strategy for sure. We're seeing a lot of wraparound uh, support and, and investment in academic advising and the relationship um, with academic advising with the rest of the institution and a lot more collaboration between mm -hmm. um faculty and if there are professional advisors and the enrollment management side of the house um, and definitely a lot of um, transformation and sort of using data to inform that strategic plan. Again, what what from the past in, in terms of our historical data can we use and how, how can we use that to inform the future? And then what kind of leading metrics are we going to put in place? Not just because we have to measure that strategic plan, but like that's actually going to help us propel and then allow that plan to flex when needed. Yeah, flexible is a word I keep hearing all the time as well. Like, how do you be build something that's flexible and resilient, uh, in particular? Um, and um, Mohammed, just getting back to the um, lessons, maybe from the the military training, uh, which which I keep gravitating back to, and uh, thank you for bearing with me. But uh, mm -hmm. but just trying to understand how to um, get comfortable with uncertainty. Um, do you have any examples of how that is taught? Uh, you know, how do you how do you train people to develop the situational awareness to react to the unexpected, because a lot of strategic planning is building off of things you've seen before and expecting it to continue to happen. We've seen in 2020 that that's doesn't that's not always the case. So I'm just curious how you think about developing folks' mindset uh, so that as leaders they um, they maybe aren't overly tied to uh, one vision of where things may go, because we know in reality things could go in many many different directions. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, I think I once read in a book about generals and, and how generals make decisions in, a, in certain situations and they just gather as much information as possible and synthesize that and then produce a decision 
And I find that for leaders, um, you know, at Schema, uh, there is that sense of, of gathering that same skill. And, and, and what I try to introduce in the staff and, and to the faculty um, is, is that mentality where, where there is uncertainty, you, you have to be able to be resourceful and gather as much information as you can. The bigger the decision, the more time it will take for you to, to gather that information and in, in deploying that decision where you're dealing with an uncertain outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel rather than being impulsive, um, like if you're actually, you know, in a, in a have a platoon somewhere out in, in, you know, in the desert or in the forest somewhere, you're not going to react out of just impulse. You're going to gather as much intelligence as you can to inform your, your, your soldiers and your, your company uh, what, what's our next move if this were to happen. Mm-hmm. So coming back to academia, I think dealing with uncertainty is more around uh, gathering information, being as resourceful as possible, um, and, and synthesizing that and making a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so but there's no optimal way. There's no optimal way of doing it. It's just, right. you know, trying well, to be as... Yeah, and yeah. it's also like you almost need the real you need the experience too. So I think that it, it does maybe think a little bit about the the uh, imposter syndrome too, where the first time you're faced with making that decision based on limited information because you just have to decide at that moment, it can be very difficult to realize, oh, it's time to make the move. You know, it's time for me to step up. Right. Yeah, there is some degree of of intuition there too. Um, and I found that leaders who have experience develop intuition. Mm. So they're the ones who can kind of react without gathering as much information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for those, you know, who have, you know, academic leaders who have dealt with, with students and faculty for years, I would say that to some degree they can handle operational decisions with, out of intuition. Mm-hmm. But for those who have not dealt with a pandemic, <laughs> I'd say that unless they were back and, you know, dealing, dealt with SARS, you know, they have like a, some sort of like credential where they dealt, dealt with different pandemics, that intuition is going to be a little more difficult to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I, I think over time, I think all of us have probably developed some intuition now, now that we've gone through it. Yeah. And it gets back to the point Tara was making about sharing those experiences with others. Uh, you know, the cross communication, I think is what we're trying to facilitate a little bit here, but um, rather than leaders sort of working within their organization and not across uh, is something, uh, Terry, I know that's something you've been very focused on. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, I think we're, we're seeing that it's going to be more and more the rule as as we try to, to manage. You know, and it's funny, I always come back to sports analogies because, you know, it's, you know, first of all, it's like you can focus in on, you know, um, your team, but you, you, you're playing other teams, right? And, and you're in a broader competitive marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, in college sports right now, of course, football, everybody's having to work together to figure out how to adjust schedule. Yeah, you know, it's funny, they're dealing yeah. with some of the same challenges that we are on the academic side. How do you, you know, how do you change right. schedules on the fly and, and, you know, working with the TV and, and all of that. And I, I can only begin to imagine what that's been like for athletic directors and so on. And you know, I was happy that my alum, you know, my alma mater Stanford was able to play the big game against Cal, but you know, now I just saw the Washington Huskies in, in Seattle are having to, you know, basically put their season on hold and yeah. 
and you know, Mike and I always love to talk about sports. So. Well, I feel so <laughs> conflicted uh, just to share for a moment because as a sports fan, I don't know what I would do to cope uh, if I didn't have the refuge of checking, like the, the escapism of sports, but at the same time, particularly collegiate sports, I have a lot of questions around the underlying model where the, the athletes aren't like the NFL, they're professionals, they're paid yeah. for their, for their time. And it is, you know, like it or not, it's a gladiatorial, you know, endeavor and they're, they're taking on that risk as part of their careers. But I do think, uh, you know, going deeper on collegiate sports and try to understand the right way to grapple with the like sort of being of two minds, you, you end up being a little bit hypocritical, I think. Uh, but uh, but I think I've learned to embrace uh, hypocrisy in 2020. So there, so there you go. Uh, but uh, but as we're wrapping up, uh, I think we did also want to check in with each of you because I think each of you are demonstrating or uh, good case studies in. Uh, finding balance and self-care and good uh, coping mechanisms. Uh, so, so maybe uh, beginning with you, Lisa, and, uh, and then going to Muhammad and, and Terry, uh, where do you find uh, things that give you energy and help you recharge to, to navigate the, the very difficult times that we're all living in? Well, my favorite topic, actually. Um, so there's there's a lot. I have a whole philosophy around wellness, but uh, since I am a Terry mentioned it, I am a yoga teacher. So that on my mat is the the primary place where I find solitude for self care, inspiration for self care, contemplation, um, wrestle with my own thoughts and uh, anxieties mm -hmm. around the future. Yeah, yep. Muhammad. Yes. Uh, as far as wellness, um, I would say that, you know, physical fitness, doing some sort of exercise regime uh, has always been part of my, my repertoire. And unfortunately, my wife and I, we have a regular routine weekly. Uh, we sometimes go to a park that's nearby um, on Wade Avenue here in, in Raleigh and, and we work out. It's nice to be outdoors. You know, so that helps too. It's around trees and the fresh air. Yeah. Um, so that helps from time to time. We like to cook. Cooking is kind of mentally stimulating. It's, it's also a, kind of a somewhat of a therapy as well. Um, and we, we keep in touch with family, you know, uh, you know, different family events. Sometimes we have virtual talks, things like that. Mm -hmm. Send gifts. You know, if we see a nice box of tea, we know you now family member likes tea. We'll, we'll send that off. Yeah. Birthdays, things like that. So th those are, I would say, our, our therapeutic wellness sort of activities that we like to take on. Nice. Sounds like uh, you want to be on the the Desoki, uh, holiday list uh, for guests. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and how, about, how about you, Terry? Uh, bring it at home. Um, yeah. So I, those of you who know me know I'm a runner and have been an athlete most of my life. And but I also I, I have to say I really enjoy it. My husband and I took a quick trip to the beach um, mm -hmm. on Sunday. Just you know, a nice socially distanced walk on the beach is, is always you know to me. Yeah. That and being in the, the woods, you know, so I, yeah. I feel very lucky. I'm not, you know, I'm 15 minutes away from some nice hiking trails um, right. and getting out. You, you feel like you're actually you know, away from civilization for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that really helps me clear my head. And, and but, you know, for me, really, it's that physical activity. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of energy. And if I don't get it out somehow, then it starts to drive me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I have to admit, I am a big sports fan, too. So I, I enjoy my time sitting and watching the, the sports on TV. And oh, for I sure. just really hope we can keep these guys healthy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, just the amount of outdoor time and the value of being 
if you can get to nature, like I, I'm still drawn to uh, to Lisa's uh, idyllic uh, backdrop there out in the Finger Lakes. <laughs> very, uh, very soothing. Uh, it's important to find those uh, those those ways to to recharge uh, your batteries. Uh, we're coming up on time. We got about five minutes left. Uh, any uh, concluding thoughts? Any uh, any stuff we want to get in before we wrap up here? Um, just you know, I, I think that uh, I really do. You know, we've said it several times today, but I think really getting to you know, spreading the word about um, you know what's working, what isn't. You know, having developing these communities of practice is really going to be something important going forward. And if anything has you know really firmed up what brighter higher ed is about over the last year is, you know, this crisis has really focused our efforts on trying to help, you know, administrators and faculty more generally just understand what's working, what isn't. And I, you know, I've really shifted my focus over the last few months to this idea of let, let's focus not so much on, you know, the students who are partying and things like that. Let's focus on what's working and mm -hmm. let's really try to, get the word out about what's going to help us get through the, the next year. Because if nothing, I mean, I'm, that's, we, we had recent, as those of you who've been following us, you know, we recently changed to brighter higher ed because I really do feel we have a brighter future in mm -hmm. higher ed and, and a more student focused and a more agile approach to, to learning. And I love to hear from Lisa that, um, you know, there's more institutions that are looking at, you know, alternative scheduling and, and things like that. So, mm -hmm. Um, I do think, and I, I'd strongly encourage you, uh, Terrence is being good about posting our, our link there. And I'm hoping that uh, Lisa and the folks from at Astro and um, Muhammad will join us in our discussion forum so we can continue uh, this discussion into the future. And yeah, I will certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining uh, Muhammad and Lisa. I think uh, we're going to close on that cautious uh, optimism that uh, Muhammad <laughs> was talking about, and it's right in the name, Brighter Higher Ed. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We're back, uh, Terry, next week. We'll, we'll be yes. back again talking Agile. Uh, if you're free uh, next Wednesday at 3 uh, Eastern, 12 Pacific, you know where we'll be here. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining. Yes, and don't forget, you can. this re uh, recording will be up as soon as we're done. And, and feel free to share that with your social networks. And uh, yes, we look forward to seeing everybody next week. <laughs>